Hello and welcome to She's Creative with me, Claire Hutchison. Each episode, I chat to a different woman or non-binary person who works in the media or publishing world, discovering how they turned creativity into a career. My guest on this episode is ID editor and freelance writer, Roisin Lanigan. Roisin is the Blue Pencil First Novel Award winner of 2020 and has written for the likes of The Atlantic, Vice and The New Statesman. Welcome, Roisin. Hello, thank you for having me on. It's no so problem. super weird when other people like describe what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah. I've <laughs> forgotten those things. Yeah. I know. <laughs> um just I ask everyone to start off, where did you grow up and what did your parents do for a living? Um so I grew up in Belfast. Uh and my mum was my well, my mum still is uh, a cleaner. Um, and she works in Clark's as well. So I get some nice shoes. Um, and my dad had like a bunch of different jobs when I grew up and was also out of work when um, I was growing up. So lots of different things, really. Um, I didn't come from like a, a family where people had like, I guess, like what you would call like in our quotes, professional careers. Like it was just mm-hmm. like people did lots of different jobs. Um, so, yeah. When did you know you wanted to be a writer um I I was kind of like one of those little nerdy kids that like knew since they were really young I kind of my first job was I was like I want to be a librarian um which (laughs) was even more nerdy when I was like like six or seven um and then I decided I wanted to be a writer and I was really nerdy when I was like eight nine ten and I used to write like weird little fantasy stories and stuff and like interview my mom and then like I would like draw like little fashion designs in my notebook but I I thought that like you know like when you're like a a child and your clothes are like eight to ten and I thought that that continued like throughout life so I would draw like dresses and be like for age 34 to 36 and then clothes um which is like probably really problematic looking back um but yeah since I was like really young (laughs) <laughs> I mean if you're a kid you'd think that would make sense that they'd keep the ages yeah. would keep going up but there, there you I go <laughs> um and you did English lit at Queen's is that right yeah I did uh yeah English lit and language I think it was um but yeah there wasn't like a journalism course at Queen's and mm-hmm. I really liked reading so I just decided that English lit would be like the best fit there how beneficial do you think having a degree is to getting a job in the media? Um, I, I don't actually think like, I think I was quite naive and I assumed that you had to have a degree and that you had to have a degree that's like related to writing. So I was like, oh, well, I want to be a writer, so I'll do English Lit. But like now, I mean, like ID, there are loads of people who didn't go to school for journalism or like didn't go to uni at all mm-hmm. um and just find it through different routes um so I don't actually think it's it's super necessary um on the other hand like in my final year at uni I like wrote for the university paper and then like wrote for like student publications and that was like instrumental in in getting like my first job and and meeting people in the industry because I didn't know anybody so mm-hmm. I think like for that it was beneficial but I don't think you actually need to go to university to become a journalist I know that like a lot of other people who are like around my age and are in journalism went to like the University of Ulster or they went to City and they did MAs and I think that that's if you want to go into it through that route like obviously you have to have a BA I imagine to get into those courses so if you want to do that then you probably need to do your journalism if you want to or do like a degree if you want to do like an nctj you have to do a degree you have to study um but then there's other people who just go into freelance writing and they just pitch and get bylines that way so I don't think you need to mm-hmm. and you were saying you met um people when you were doing the student newspaper do you think they've been quite beneficial contacts for um you know your career yeah I mean I so I went to I went to Queen's which is obviously like in Belfast and I think there are a lot more opportunities now to um to write and to work within Belfast at the time I sort of maybe incorrectly assumed that like I had to move to London 
to work full-time in journalism which is what I did like right after I graduated um and I came to work at a startup I came to I worked at the tab because I wrote for the tab mm. at uni um, and so that was my first job because like obviously Belfast is a, a smaller place there's like less publications that are based there so I like assumed like oh I've got to move away and yeah I think if I hadn't written for them at, at uni then you know I wouldn't have got that job so for me um it was and I know that like our student newspaper as well that was like specific to Queens or a few people who wrote for that who are now like who are now journalists who, who work full-time whether in Belfast or in London so I think it's good and it also teaches you like like skills like working to deadlines and like working in a team and like pitching articles to other people which I think when you start out can be really scary so even mm-hmm. apart from networking it's really good to learn those skills so I think it's beneficial in that way yeah absolutely um what what do you think the main challenges are right now for people pursuing media careers um I mean the pivot to video is is a Mm. big yeah that's an interesting one yeah I feel like it keeps happening um my boyfriend's video editor so it's great for him um not so good for me (laughs) but yeah like I think there's just I mean the pandemic hasn't helped as well there seems to be like a lot of a lot of people and not necessarily a lot of jobs within companies in the way there used to be like editorial teams are smaller um and budgets are quite tight and with like the move to social first content and video first content there's like I guess you have to meet certain goals so you you maybe think about your pitches differently like I know that like in my capacity as a freelance writer like I'm definitely taking into my pitches things that I learn in-house at ID so you're pitching things and being like not just is this an interesting idea but like who's going to read this um and like will you know then you start thinking like and will the editor come back to me and and want to work with me again based on how well or or, or not well how this does and you have that kind of like paranoia um mm. so I think that that's like a, a real maybe not like a problem but like a consideration that you have to almost think about things not just creatively but also in in terms of metrics Mm, um mm -hmm. whether you're a freelancer or like a writer in-house and that writing a story is maybe just not that people aren't interested in it but like it's just the market is maybe getting smaller as video grows and as people become more interested in things like instagram and tiktok and like those kind of like diversifying their content strands that maybe just straight journalism is not as it's just it's more difficult and I think it's there are a lot of people going after like a small amount of jobs and like a dwindling budgets essentially. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's important for people to try and like diversify their skill set then if they're like entering? Yeah I do think so I I have worked um so obviously I'm editor at the moment so I do like purely editorial but I've worked on social as well so I did Mm -hmm. I started out as social editor for ID I was also social editor for for other publications before that. So it's good to have that sort of skill set. I think as well, like my history, like working in a startup, you kind of just have to do a lot of different jobs. So it's good because you bring in like different interests and, and different skills from that. Like you, you interest in social. I have a lot of friends who started out as writers who then just like taught themselves how to do video, like through Premiere Pro or like went into photography, like that sort of thing. So it's good to have that like to have that diversity on the other hand like my boyfriend has always been like let me just teach you how to add a video and you'll be mm-hmm. fine and I'm like I don't want to know I mean it's it's <laughs> handy to have to have him there for feedback and stuff Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking about was your startup job was that at the tab yeah so the tab yeah. was like it was I mean it got quite I think it, it got like much bigger after I left they mm-hmm. had like they had whole staff I don't know how much how many staff they have now but yeah like that that experience of working in a smaller company is obviously very different to ID and Vice like they've been companies that have existed for a long time and it's just a, a really different way of working but yeah working in a startup is interesting <laughs> very fast-paced. Yeah I've heard that. I've never worked in a startup um I didn't even know what startup was until like a couple <laughs> years ago honestly uh, it just feels like a very like London-centric thing that you don't really get like, yeah I think elsewhere. it is and also it's just like it's a very like buzzwordy term mm-hmm. like 
I think that that's also like a big problem in journalism is that people just kind of use those terms and you have to like I always start to surreptitiously like google what things are because I don't know uh-huh. someone's like what's the top line I'm like I don't know <laughs> let me just <laughs> yeah there's so much jargon to get used to that you just have to learn mm-hmm. on the job weirdly yeah. um yeah startup culture so just very fast paced then yeah I think so and like it's it suited me at the time like I went I I worked there and I was like 22 like 21 22 so you and I just moved to London as like a new city and you get to work with like your pals and like you're kind of you see work very differently to when you're older like you maybe like work longer hours you do lots of different things and as I said like that can be really beneficial because you find out that like maybe you're not interested in writing you're more interested in like like social media or you're more interested in video editing um or you're more interested in like managing people and it's very like all hands on deck so it can be very different to working in a like maybe like an older more established company where you are a staff writer you are an editorial assistant and that is your job Mm -hmm. the whole the whole moving to London thing to get a media job Mm. um what what was that experience like for you um like I think that I've only realized how stressful it was in maybe like the past two years because mm-hmm. like you slow down a bit as you get older um and you like just start to be able to manage your life a lot better um at the time I thought it was like really exciting and really cool and it was because you know I'd never like I think I'd been to London like once before I moved um but it was like very stressful and very expensive and mm-hmm. I have a very bad credit score <laughs> to this day um, after moving over here so yeah ups and downs I think. Do you have any tips for people that are moving to London for the first time that you know maybe don't have very much money or yeah? Yeah I mean I so when I decided to move to London I went to my bank in Belfast uh, when I had like a student account and I was just like look I'm moving for a job this is the salary that I'm gonna get I don't have enough like money to move I don't have enough money to um to like find an like find a flat so they like extended my overdraft they gave me a credit card um I would suggest if you are in a position where you like my parents helped me out but I they didn't you know like they didn't have a lot of, like my parents don't have a huge amount of money so like they, they I was in a position where they were like here's your down payments on a flat like you know to rent or whatever um so I think like going to the bank and explaining if you are moving that you're going to move out of your student account to be like in a graduate account can they help you that was really helpful for me mm. don't do what I did and then like max out both those things because <laughs> they will eventually come after you um <laughs> uh yeah I think like that kind of thing I used um like spare room and I knew like one person in London who was moving and I got her room for a couple of weeks and then I found another flat from that but it's maybe easier now to do things like virtual viewings um Mm -hmm. and things like that um but yeah I'd say like also don't feel like you have to move I moved really close to my office I was I worked in Shoreditch and I moved to Bethnal Green and I was like I had no money um and I think like you obviously the tube is difficult to understand but like if maybe with a lot of other jobs now if you're only going in one two days a week like don't be afraid to move a little bit further out if it's a bit cheaper um and share with people and that sort of thing um I'm trying to think what else I got a, I've recently got a bike and it's been really helpful because I haven't mm-hmm. I haven't had to get the tube as much uh but yeah and maybe yeah. don't go out like it's kind of hard because I was gonna be like oh don't go like drinking all your money but you kind of have to do that because you move here and you don't have a lot of friends and you have to like (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) maybe just sneak drinks in that's the way of getting around it like buy some (laughs) shops wherever you're going (laughs) yeah that all sounds good what kind of stuff do you think you learned working at the tab um I guess like because it was so fast-paced like I felt like I learned like you learn from your mistakes as you go on and I know you do that in in every job but because you're doing everything at once you kind of like you have a mistake then you move on and you just like you keep that it you you keep that in your memory so when I was leaving to go to ID like I felt like I'd done a lot of different jobs and I could bring a lot of different things like I could edit I could write like I could write fairly fast because we were writing maybe like two three stories a day like Mm -hmm. like short news copy like I could do that sort of thing um I wasn't afraid to like talk to people on the phone because like a lot of our job was just like 
calling people up and talking to people you've never learned before and that is so terrifying like mm-hmm. I still get that now like even when I'm interviewing someone I I get that little twinge of being like oh my god like I, I will never listen to this back and putting it into like transcription service and, and just skipping my part so I think like they were all really like good skills that I learned um and yeah like when you're doing stuff fast you don't have time to like sort of settle into your fears about things I was really scared of talking to people on the phone I was really nervous about my accent like if people not understanding what I was saying um I was nervous of being like here are my ideas in like a big meeting full Mm -hmm. of people I don't know and then it was kind of just like there was no time to be nervous about that like you just kind of had to do it so it was yeah that was good I think like that was what I learned it was like and I got into the habit of being like okay like I'm nervous about doing x task or I'm worried that it's not going to be right but then it's just like right I've done it now I'm going to move on like it's 30 minutes out of my day it's an hour out of my day so thinking about things in that way like I guess it was just like exposure therapy to like actually being a journalist it was like right you've just got to do things now yeah what you're talking about um transcription what best what are your best transcription tips um so I use otter.ai yeah um, I don't know if you're familiar with that it's it, like obviously you are not English either it, it does have a problem yeah. if you're not English or uh-huh, I guess 100% yeah um it's always it like I can it's really embarrassing because like if there's a word that you say so I can't say the word um p-o-w-e-r so if I say that or anything related to that it comes up as like p-a-r because I say par um so uh-huh. I have <laughs> so they're handy because you put like if you've talked to someone for half an hour it transcribes it but then you also have to kind of go through it with a fine tooth comb after and like change everything yeah yeah I did that as well and I, I interviewed an American person and normally it's like I don't know if I'm interviewing a Scottish person it's maybe like 50 percent of it's yeah. right and I interviewed an American person once and it was like the whole thing was correct like 100 yeah, percent <laughs> so that's I mean, you, should, yeah. you should contact them and be like you need to change just uh-huh. diverse accents 100% but, um, um, yeah like I think that's better than like um I know some people use especially like at ID um people would have like sent it to each other like if you don't you know like if you're not busy you'd be like hey like I can transcribe you know like that magazine interview I never do that because I'm always so embarrassed of like any like filler chat or like weird things I've said so I was like no, no I'll do it myself and I just use <laughs> like websites for it uh-huh um, I don't um, pay for other <laughs> yeah no me neither um so you after you were at the tab is that and you went to ID um you were you did social at the start is that right yeah I started as the ID social editor uh and I did that for about a year and then I actually I think I was like about yeah it was about a year into the job and then I in 2018 I found out I had cancer so I had to basically like I didn't take any time off but I worked from home essentially like before it was cool um because I had to have like chemo and stuff so I wasn't really comfortable going into the office it was very germy at the time we had a lot of hand sanitizer it was like pre-covid covid yeah um so when I was doing that I started just doing different things because maybe like when I was at hospital I couldn't do like the full um like timetables like a social media is quite like a full-on job you do kind of need to be by your computer for most of the day so I started writing a bit more and then found that like I enjoyed doing that and it and it fitted with like what was happening at the time so I, I became junior editor and then um finished chemo in 2018 and like went into remission and I've been you know like clear scans for three years it's all been very good and then like after I I was junior editor for a bit I like as I said at the tab you get really quick at writing news copy because like it's very fast paced so I started I became news editor at ID um and did that until recently and then our like we've just changed our structures like slightly so everyone's doing um lots of like different things so my job title changed to editor which kind of suits me more so now I do like I edit quite a lot of like internet culture stories and I write quite a bit of that I also like still work on news so it's just it gives me more scope to like do some more features and commission and edit some more op-eds and stuff it's very potted history of the past four and a half hectic years but <laughs> do you do you have any advice for someone who is who has like fallen unwell and anything mm-hmm. they can do to 
you know help their situation yeah I mean it's it's weird like I personally I know a lot of people who come out of work entirely and they're just like I need to focus completely on my health which I think is completely valid I think at the time I was it was obviously like really traumatic and I needed some kind of semblance of normality so I went to my line manager at the time um who's now left ID but she was super supportive and I was just like look this is what's happened um obviously did not expect this it was like 25 26 I was like really young um for that to happen I didn't think it was going to come at all and I was like I want to keep working um but I'm not going to be able to come in for two weeks out of every three like physically be in the office because I I won't have an immune system so they were really flexible Mm -hmm. and she was it was basically just like do you want to keep working or do you want to come out of work um and I wanted to like as I say have a bit of I didn't want to be like completely isolated and like that if I think if you're sick then that can happen and Mm -hmm. I liked having the normality of work to to make me feel like I I still spoke to people like I still had stuff to do I wasn't you know like completely on my own and then you know on another level there was like on like an imperative level like statutory sick pay is not high enough if you work in London to be Mm -hmm. able to fully come out of work and I knew that I wouldn't be able to financially support myself if I gave up work for like five six months while I finished chemo so there was like a kind of grim like dystopian I couldn't do it anyway so I worked from home and I you know I stayed working through it um and I preferred that and I think it worked for me and I didn't want to go back to Ireland because you know I'd been diagnosed but here and I was already in the process of of being treated um So yeah, I think that worked. But I think uh, my advice for people who are maybe in similar situations, whether you have like a chronic illness or you're going through something like that, where you need to take a certain amount of time to be treated, is to just be very clear with what you need from your employers. Like I, at that time, like it really put in perspective. But previous to that, I was always like a very like no worries if not type mm-hmm, person. I would like come test infection and be like I'm fine, I'm absolutely fine and then that put in perspective I was just like no I absolutely cannot come to work on these days like this is very serious um and it sort of changed my priorities a bit and it made me a bit more like open and honest about what I needed from my employers as well as like what I could do for them as a staff member which really helped um but yeah so I think I don't know if that's helpful yeah <laughs> no that's really interesting yeah um when when you're doing um, social, what mm-hmm. kind of, um, what was your day-to-day like then? Because I've not really spoken to anyone so far that, that's that been doing social stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, so social, well, it's very different now because obviously like there's a lot, I think the social team at ID now, they have a lot more to do than I even did because you have like TikTok and you have Instagram reels and you're mm-hmm. doing YouTube and it just kind of feels like it's growing bigger and bigger and bigger, like the social media space. Um, but yeah, like a day to day as a social media editor, it's like looking at the stats from the previous week um, what has done well and what hasn't done well and trying to think, is there a way that you could, um, get more eyes on stories that have gone out so that might be like picking out images from a really strong photographic story posting them as a gallery on different social media platforms changing headlines um this was like pre seo mania but like seo optimization so that would mean I guess like people listening would know what that means but like making sure that there are keywords in headlines and like keywords in the story and that the image is really clear um and then like scheduling so making sure that you have if you're publishing stuff from like the magazine or 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 on the site that they're going out they're not going out all at once and that they're staggered throughout the day and that you're getting different audiences to look at them so looking at our audience demographics and saying you know like oh there's quite a lot of readers in an id for instance that live on the west coast of america so maybe it's a case of changing what time we put things out mm-hmm. to reach them um yeah and like scheduling instagram posts finding like archival images for instagram posts so it's a lot of it's you kind of as you do the rule you you sort of like segment your day so you're like in the morning I'm going to do scheduling in the afternoon I'm going to store Instagram and then I might have a meeting with video about like if they've put 
they've come together with a documentary like cutting that down and how will we put that out on social media so it's a lot of different things throughout the day um, and that yeah so I, I think it would be even more now like with coming up with TikTok ideas and doing everything yeah. else. Um, obviously ID as well is very um, fashion focused mm-hmm. um, media and fashion are two of the, the hardest industries to get into mm-hmm. um do you have any advice on someone for someone that's trying to get into either of those kind of industries um it's kind of so like <laughs> I think people think that I have a lot of knowledge of fashion I feel like I don't but then I was talking um like a few years ago to uh Matthew Whitehouse who used to work at ID and now he's the editor of the face and I was just like I feel like I knew nothing about fashion like really having like real imposter syndrome and he was just like yeah I feel like that like but then when I talk to people who don't work in media or fashion they feel like you, you kind of just like assimilate a lot of knowledge and you're just like oh yeah like compared to maybe my friends who work in different industries you do know stuff but when you're actually in it you feel like you know nothing like I remember once like misspelling the designer's name in an Instagram caption and being like dealing with such shame and like getting shouted <laughs> at by, like, I remember staff and I was just like oh my god like I'm so embarrassed um but yeah like I think it is hard like a lot of it just comes from I guess like just the pitching like the writers that I have now who are like recent graduates um they they're just people who have like when they were still at uni like at CSM or UAL or whatever they've like emailed and and said like I want to write about this I want to write about this and I don't think it even goes on like being in London or being at those schools I think a lot of people assume that a lot of people assume that you have to go to like CSM you have to go to the RCA to work in like fashion communications or fashion journalism but like I think as an editor I go on like now I'm in the job I go on pitches so like, oh, that's a really interesting idea. It's a, it's very clearly laid out. Um, and I, I do want to make that more, I, I know that it's a hard industry to get into and it seems very insular. Um, and I want to make it more like easier to get into that if you're not like in London, going to a certain amount, going to like specific schools. Um, so like I, on Twitter, I always do like pitch call it all the time. I try to make like things really accessible there I have my dms open I have like my email on my bio um we've put together like a pitch guide for id that you can use for other publications that it seems really simple it's just like here's how you format your email so that it doesn't get lost in, in someone's inbox and I think I would have really benefited from that like as a student or as a graduate because it feels very simple and it feels almost silly to be like this is how you should write an email but I, I feel like no one really tells you that and it's just yeah like, definitely Mm-hmm. no like also know like this is what you should say this is what you shouldn't like when I was in like final year I was sending out my CV to et- to like editors-in-chief of publications and just being like hey and they were like what do you want <laughs> like, like I felt like so stupid so I think being a bit more open and honest about those kind of things is hopefully helps just being like and also like if someone pitches me something and I can tell that like a lot of detail and effort has gone into the pitch but it's just not right for ID like it's just like not a topic like that we cover I always try to get back to as many people as possible on email um obviously it's not always possible but to be like this isn't right for us but I'd love to hear more from you like here's our pitch guide um and I always like if I do say no to someone I always really welcome when they reply and they're like oh can you tell me why or like can you tell me like what you'd be looking for in future and we can link to different pieces that we've done so I think yeah just don't be afraid to like ask and don't be afraid to to break down like like even things like or, like how to pitch because those are like the things that get your like I hate the phrase food in the door mm-hmm. but like I much, I, I much prefer that to being like hey like I'm a friend of you know a friend of a friend of a friend and mm-hmm. like that old school way of networking I just think that's a bit ugh, I, I don't really like that so I'd much prefer like coming to people blind I think social media has been really helpful like if mm-hmm. someone's that Twitter can be a bit of a cesspit but just being able to like go on there and like find who works at a publication and what they're interested in is super helpful and I don't think that existed even what like five six years ago yeah what what do you look for from pitches 
Um, so yeah, I think like every time I do a pitch call out, I'm I always mention like a few topics that I'm interested in, um, and and things that we don't cover, and I always include the guide. And I think sometimes when I do that, and then I get, I mean, obviously you get like a deluge of pitches when you post things like that. But if people pitch and they pitch something that's very obvious that they haven't read that, then that's quite off-putting because you're like you should kind of try and like tweak I don't mind people sending out pitches to five different publications at once um because like you need to get paid so like why not improve your chances of, get, of getting picked up somewhere but just like tweak it so like mm-hmm. like if you to say you know like I was pitching to you and I hadn't written for you before I'd be like hey like I haven't written for you before here's my portfolio like a link to like your website maybe I have a contently one which is free some people pay for their own domain which is fine um and then maybe like a few links to what you've like to where you've written before because I know in my experience in our pitch meetings if I have a new writer and they come through with a really strong idea and I'm like I'd really like to commission this quite often my editor will be like okay like can can I see what they've written before can I see what kind of writer they are so that like if it's someone that you're going to take a chance on that's new you're just like okay yeah like that sounds like a really strong idea like let's see what they write and also like I think if you're a really really new writer that can be quite scary because you're like I haven't written for anywhere before like I'm at uni or something Mm -hmm. but you can you can publish your medium posts now you can like as I said like write for your university newspaper you can link to your socials you can just like explain a bit about yourself um so you can still like provide like a little snippet of who you are as a new as a new person come to a new editor without having to without having to have been paid to write for different publications before um I think one of the things that I always tell people I I got interviewed by someone recently for like their uni magazine and they described themselves as like an aspiring journalist. And I was like, you know, you don't have to do that. I was like, you can mm-hmm. just tell people you're a journalist. Like, they're not going to like call up like the NUJ and be like, <laughs> you can just say you're a journalist. Like no one's going to stop you. Yeah. Um, and I think that like that is a lot more, you know, like just back yourself a bit and be like, yeah, I'm a journalist. Like I'm a new journalist. I write for this. Um, yeah, I think that's really good. I'm trying to think what else um yeah I think like just being really being really clear setting up your email like in a way that formats like what the what the pitch actually looks like like a couple of good paragraphs of what you would write and maybe like some pre-reporting who you would speak to um and yeah like never ever write on spec which is something that I did when I was a student um and like definitely got scammed into for like content farms they're like oh can you write like a thousand words or like, can you send like loads of ideas? Um, so yeah, like I think never do that, even if it's somewhere that you really want to write. Like I've pitched to publications before when I was younger and been like, I'll just write it for free. And you're mm. like, don't do that. Yeah. And I think it's coming around again with, I've got a few emails recently from people being like, oh, we're a YouTube um, channel. Can you write on spec? And they pay like three P a word or something. So I think it's, it's coming around again in a new style of content form so it's something to be aware of yeah that's interesting um what is your what's your day-to-day like your current role um so in the morning uh I will do like so I still as I say I like do a lot of our news coverage so in the morning I'll obviously like check my emails reply to emails and then like have a look around for news whether that's like on different sites that we can put our own spin on or like stuff that's come to us direct, uh, whether that's from like PRs or from tips or from like events that are happening, that kind of thing. Um, and that'll be like the first hour of the day, just like deciding on what we're going to cover, um, like in terms of news, how we're going to cover it, like what format it's going to be, if it's worth writing, if it's already really overexposed in the internet. Um, and then, so that'll, so writing and editing that, will take up the morning and then in the afternoon I'll usually focus on editing pieces that have come in that are less timely so features that I've commissioned and then like I'll always have like a few pitches every day from from different writers um and then obviously like I write myself so I try to take time every day to like write my own stuff whether that's like short news pieces or op-eds or like features that I can work on over a few days or over a few weeks in my own time so yeah, I say like timely stuff in the morning and then in the afternoon, 
commissions for features and we usually have zoom meetings like three four times a week as well with the rest of the team so we haven't gone back to the office yet Mm, yeah that's interesting how have you found the whole remote working thing I mean I prefer it so I live I live in southeast and our office is in Shoreditch so which doesn't it like it's weird because before the pandemic I felt like I had like this sweetest commute I was like I just get on the overground in the morning and then I get back in the evening and it's like one train and it's 40 minutes and now I recently went to pick up my posts and I was like how the hell did I do this twice a day like it's so boring um so I prefer it like I've done the classic millennial thing I've got like a little dog now and um I think I have like a better work-life balance um but in saying that like I'm I'll I'll, I'm sure I'll like once things are opening up like to go in one or two days a week maybe maybe less maybe a lot less to like actually see people especially if there's like new members of the team um but I'm not going to rush back because I'm in the like clinically vulnerable list so I have to get my booster jab so I'm not going to rush back yet but yeah I think I would hope that um it would encourage us to move away from this like exodus to London for people who maybe like aren't financially able to do it or like just don't want to do it like I have lived here for like years now and I'm I still get really homesick all the time and like it's been really cool moving here and I love my job and I love my friends but like yeah I don't know if we would have if we if we could have had a more like positive remote working culture I don't know if I would have done it moving like looking back so it's interesting I wonder if it'll change how we see how we think about journalism like in-house and freelancing and that sort of thing yeah do you think the media industry as a whole has opened up a bit more for people outside of London or do you think it's still a bit closed um I think that we maybe won't see the effects of it for a while because I think that there's a lot of like back and forth and I think that like journalists journalism companies will maybe I think that they'll follow like the example of big tech so I think that maybe like if a lot other bigger companies start being like, okay, we're going to go fully remote. Oh no, we've stopped going fully remote. We're going to change it like Google and Yahoo and Facebook and stuff. Um, And I read a really interesting New York Times piece the other day about how if you have a remote way of working that you can access a lot more talent because you're not focusing on people who live within like a a one hour radius of the office. Like you can get people who who want to, to move around and who don't live in London or don't live in the UK um so I think it would I hope that it would open up and and make things more flexible and you know make people because you know it's not even like a financial thing if you have different responsibilities if you have a family or you're unable to get to London every day like you know there are lots of reasons why that's not accessible to people beyond money so and then it's like if you're trying to make the industry more open how can you do that while maintaining the fact that everybody has to work in New York or work in San Francisco or work in London like those are some of the most expensive stressful busiest cities on earth so yeah yeah absolutely um you said as well you do writing as well um Mm -hmm. outside of your job how do you how do you manage to juggle that um I think so it's only something that I've started doing like as like in the past few years as I've become more able to manage my time and juggle a work-life balance and I'm not like saying at my job until like eight eight or nine at night um or like always being on the computer and always always stressing like and I think maybe it comes with being a bit more confident in your ability that you're just like yeah I would like to do things that are slightly different um and like and also like there's a I so for instance I write a lot about like back home I write about like Belfast and I write about the politics of Belfast and that's just very niche and like not ID won't always cover those kind of things or like if I want to write about like crisps like I wrote about like I wrote like a 1200 word article on Tato last year which I really loved for prospects <laughs> but like it's not very ID um so if I have an interest in something I'm like oh, okay like I will carve out time in the evening to write about this and like it, it's something that I personally enjoy but in saying that like 
I don't when I first started doing it I took on a lot of I did a lot of pitches at once and took on a lot of commissions at once because I was like oh this is interesting like something that I'm doing that's new and then got very overwhelmed so I think now with having a full-time job and then doing that you kind of have to uh like just organize your time and maybe do like one or two a month that you really want to do and that you can Mm -hmm. take time on um and then I do like other writing as well like um like copywriting as well mm. which I think a lot of journalists do and like no people don't really talk about it um on the side and I do that in the evenings or at weekends but yeah like as I say I think it's just a case of not taking on too many at once if you're doing that on the side of a full-time job because you will get overwhelmed and you'll just get burnt out and not want to do it anymore and then you run the risk of that affecting your your main job mm. as well what you want how how did you get into copywriting um I'm trying to think so I think it was people who just like came to me it's not technically copywriting it's like marketing insights um for like and I think they came to me because of my work writing about like that what they wanted to what they wanted to cover so like gen z millennial like fashion or media so I was, I was kind of lucky and the, the company that I, that I mainly do for they came to me um, and then I get offers as well like through my main job for copywriting so I think that it's just being um, I like that obviously I actually don't know if that's the case for other people I was gonna say that's not the case for other people but I don't know copywriting is such a dark art like I I genuinely don't know how people do it it's not like a regular gig for me it's just when they come through and they want like mm-hmm. a certain thing I'll do it um so yeah like that I think I got contacted via LinkedIn for that um but I have friends who do it regularly for like um you know like clothes websites and stuff and I don't know how they do it it's just one of those things that like everyone knows that everybody does for a bit of extra money but nobody really knows how you get into it it's yeah weird. that's you... deeply unhelpful <laughs> like I'm sorry I mean that, like in my first situation someone came to me on LinkedIn and I was like yeah of course extra uh-huh. money please um. yeah no that's interesting um you you also won the blue pencil first novel award um in 2020 can you tell me a bit about that yeah um so I obviously it's 2020 so it was pandemic times so I suddenly had a lot more time on my hands um and I've been interested in writing fiction for like a really long time like I used to do it at uni but I don't know it just I mean I think even now it seems like a job that unless you have unless you're like comfortable financially you have like a good you know like you're you're not worried about your finances that it's maybe not something that you do full-time I don't know how people in their 20s and 30s do it full-time um but yeah like I've always been interested in it and I um had written like a book during or I'd written like the the bare bones of the book during the pandemic (laughs) <laughs> like everybody did they're like little pet projects and I pitched it to a few small indie presses um and I pitched it to one in Ireland and they were just like look this isn't right for us but they were so helpful and they were like you maybe you w- might want to pitch it to other places and they gave me like this website that was like a list of different resources and different presses um and the blue pencil award was on there so I checked it out and I saw that it was coming up and I was like oh yeah fuck it so I like said it was like 20 pound entry and at the time like everywhere was closed like pubs office so I like wasn't doing anything with my money so I sent it in and didn't think that I would win and then I did um uh, and then that was really nice experience they usually do like a shoot like a photo shoot with the winner and you get to meet the judges and it's really nice but obviously because of the pandemic mm. they didn't get to do that um but I still met up with Carrie who was one of the judges on Zoom and we had a lot of chats back and forth and she was really interested in reading the rest of the book and then uh, in January this year she like signed to be my agent officially so that was really cool um, and then like then it's just endless back and forth with amends on the book and sending it out to people so it's not published but I hope that it will be soon. It's, yeah I, it's one of those again like I don't understand like a lot about the book industry so I'm kind of going blind and just trying to figure it out as I go along yeah had you written the whole book then when you were um no. when you applied <laughs> no yeah no well I, I it's, so I had the story in my head for like a long time um and so I knew like where I wanted it to go 
but I hadn't written it like an 80,000 word book like and that to to apply for the prize they've just announced their 2021 uh right winner sorry and I don't know if it's the same uh like if it's the same process but you had to like send through the first chapter so I think it was like 5,000 words or something so that was the the bit that I had like down like and edited and and you know like perfect as perfect as it was going to be so I sent that through and then if you got shortlisted you had to send through the next bit so I sent like the next 20,000 words and then or that was the long list and then like for the winner you had to send through the rest of the book so I was able to fix it up and add to it and make it more cohesive like as time went on which was good because I don't know if I would have done that if I didn't have like someone that I needed to send it to I would have just been like oh Mm. you know it's just a project in the back of my mind and I'll never finish it what what's it been like having an agent like what's that whole experience like um it's weird like I um you kind of it's not like a day-to-day thing in the way that you would expect like I guess if you're a journalist and you have an editor like I speak to my editor every day at work uh, and she helps with like the minutiae of stuff whereas with an agent like you speak to them about like where they would send the book what changes you would make and then because it's like a big project there are like times when you're working on it and you don't speak to them then you go back to them and you speak to them again and you work through it so it's been interesting like adapting to that I think because of my my background working in startups and then working at like a website that you're you're like okay I need to do something that needs to be done tomorrow and it's been a real adjustment like working on a bigger project where you're like okay I need to do I need to have weeks where I work on this and send it back and then speak to her and and she has ideas about where it should go and gives me advice and then I go back and do it again so it's been adjustment like that but she's been like it's been so helpful having someone like I I sent it to my friends but like with all the love in the world who's going to read 80,000 words of their friend's book so it's it's yeah it's like their job is to look at it and be like okay (laughs) better and they have to read it (laughs) so does your agent do all the like editing as well they it's 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 not like um like close editing Mm -hmm. obviously because of like the the length of the book I mean it is in some ways like they're uh, a lot of the book is written in like uh, like a dialect so it's written in a Belfast dialect Carrie's American and then like I think the other person on her team who edits is English so sometimes they come back and they say like oh what does this mean so like mm-hmm. small things like that they'll come back but then other stuff is like oh I think this theme is really interesting could you expand on that could that be brought back in this chapter um, so it's kind of like more collaborative in that way um or like at the minute I'm restructuring it um so that's like based on feedback that we've got from people like from people in house that they've said you know like oh it might be better if this was brought up to here and this was changed so yeah mm-hmm. it's more it's it's just weird because I'm used to working paragraph by paragraph and then you're working chapter by chapter yeah <laughs> um are you able to talk about the book yet or is it still kind of under wraps yeah I don't want to think it changes like even more <laughs> I yeah. was like so like about six months ago I was just like yeah absolutely because this is what it is and it's going to be like this and then um it's changed quite a lot since then um so yeah like I'm hoping that I, as I said I'm restructuring it at the minute and then I think we're going to send it out to editors uh I hope like depending on when I actually finish it by the end of the year so we'll just see fingers crossed it's <laughs> so exciting yeah you must be buzzing it's really exciting but it's like really weird because you kind of like all the stuff that I said about when you become a journalist and you have to um get over pitching your ideas and having an editor read your writing like your journalism you have that again but it feels like in a weird way even more exposing because it's like Mm. your internal world and it's your imagination and like yeah it feels like weirdly embarrassing to be like oh here's this thing that I made up in my head do you want to read it (laughs) (laughs) so it feels strange but I'm gonna have to get used to it (laughs) yeah that's great um just to finish off Mm -hmm. what would be your general piece of advice for people that are pursuing a career in writing um I would say to just actually the the main piece of advice I would have is to just get used to um 
accepting feedback and accepting constructive criticism and getting used to the fact that like you're not gonna hear like yes 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 especially if you're only mm. starting out and I get that advice as someone who when they hear this when they hear the question like are you ready for constructive criticism I'm like already crying so I don't I'm not good at it but I've had to get better like when I first started out if I got rejected like a pitch I sent it would like destroy me for like three days and I'd be like oh I'm so shit like I can't do this and then the only way I got past that in terms of like applying for jobs and pitching was to just do more of it just to be like okay I'll just do it again I'll just do it again I'll just do it again um and then you kind of desensitize yourself to rejection which I think is good professionally and in all areas of life Mm -hmm. um but yeah and I think like also when I started out like I was a bit ashamed of the fact that like I was maybe not very well off and that like I needed I I needed jobs and I needed commissions and I needed that to um and I was like no no no. the whole journalism world is people who are very well off and they're like privately educated and they've done their master's degree and stuff and that maybe I felt like I had to hide that like like for a long time at the beginning of my career like and I think that I hope that journalism is becoming more accessible and it's becoming more open um and I would say that maybe like don't let that stereotype put you off there are obviously especially when you move to London like with you you can't pretend that there are financial constraints but that you can do I hope things more remotely now and that you know maybe you don't, you don't have to live in London you don't have to have been privately educated you don't have to have done a master's or an NCTJ you can still be a journalist mm-hmm. and you don't have to say you're an aspiring journalist you can just pretend to be one (laughs) and then just get along that way (laughs) that was id editor roisin lanigan you can find her on social media at rosie lanners and i'm on social media at underscore claire hutch if you like this episode please subscribe on your podcast app of choice and rate and review on apple podcasts you can find the podcast on social media at she's creative pod see you next time